Good morning, everybody. It is Tuesday, November 17th. I had to think about that for a second, what the date actually is. But yeah, it's November 17th, 2020. If you can believe it, or almost all the way through this year. But you know what? Even though this year has been crazy, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Because there is some good stuff going on today. The sun is coming up. At least where I'm at, there's not a cloud in the sky, even though we could really use some rain, but hey, we'll take sun as well. Um, bless you all, this is, this is no easy answer, where we examine things that don't have an easy answer from a biblical perspective, trying to shed some light on this crazy journey, which is our wonderful and beautiful life that God has given to us, so we can live it all the better and see his kingdom come among us, alright? So... Why? Why? I have been talking about violence for the longest time. Uh, and it's marching towards its end. <laughs> Maybe not a hard stop end, but an end. Um, and we're just examining, I am examining. I've always said we when I talk about myself. I don't know why. Forgive me if I do that. It's kind of my default public speaking expression. In any case... <clears throat> talking about violence, and we're talking about just general topics of violence, so uh, I've been examining all sorts of things from the Bible, and now I'm going through the actual things that are happening. Last week, we talked about abortion, and I'm going semi, semi, uh, alphabetical here, so this week I'm talking about bullying, which is kind of a fun, not really, uh, topic to talk about, and we're going to talk about bullying. And, again, my definition of violence is talking about physical violence. So, yes, while there are verbal bullying, and, and that can sometimes lead to physical bullying, I'm going to talk about bullying in general, because that kind of enters into there. And it's the same motivation behind the words as it is behind the other one. And, and I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I was kind of like, do I really want to record this podcast or not? I really have not done my research. This week has just been absolutely redonkulous about the amount of stuff I've been trying to bite off and chew, and I'm exhausted, and maybe I'm just recording this podcast so I don't fall asleep on the way to work. But, in any case, you can listen to some very raw <laughs> and unrefined thoughts coming out of my mind as I try to analyze that, which is bullying. Again, if this blesses you, listen to it. If it doesn't, just don't waste your time. Go do something else. Um, in any case, bullying. Now, there is... This whole thing brings up a little little deal, and it's something I have not examined yet within the realm of violence, and it, it's going to come up pretty strong in this one. And we're going to go s- straight to a biblical story, um, and then we're going to come back to this, this thing around. But uh, keep this in mind. It's, it's going to be this whole idea of self-esteem. And uh, many, 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 many years ago, in Missionary in Venezuela, we did this little exercise as a team to see if we could try to, as very non-scientific as possible, and even not as spiritual, but to see if we could just kind of like, you know, tie some things together. And we just basically did a little activity of like, okay, what are all the different forms of violence we see and experience here in our community, which was a very violent community, sadly. Um, so I wrote this down, and then we said, okay, what are the causes of those violence? So we began to write down the causes to all those different types of violence. And then we asked, what's the causes to that? And what are the causes to that? And what are the causes to that? And interestingly enough, it all came back to this idea of self-esteem. Um, 
just to the sense that, like, if you can't support the inequality, like we've talked about with Cain, and it does kind of come down to some sort of self-esteem here, <clears throat> a decision, but what really informs that decision? Do you have it within you to live with the reality that there's this inequality, and you can be okay with that, and you can do good, and you can bless even those that have more than you do, um, that have received more than you do, even justly or unjustly, however you want to look at it. If, if you have it within you to do that, then you're not moved to violence. However, if you don't, if you cannot accept that, something within you says this is unacceptable, and the self-value placed in yourself is guided and directed to such a point that, no, this has to be taken care of, well then, that leads to violence. So this whole idea of self-esteem is really pretty fundamental to the whole deal as well. Inequality is there, but the inequality... The step that brings inequality to violence is through this lack or this inability to reconcile within oneself the inequality. <clears throat> so, um, talking about bullying, let's get into it. I was trying to think, man, is there really like a good biblical story about bullying? And I'm sure there's a better one than the one I <laughs> kind of came to mind with. But I'm going to go with this, and it's kind of an interesting story, and I'm going to, it's a long story, it's in the book of Judges, I don't even know what chapters it's in, I'm going to just throw this out there and say maybe chapter 12-ish, something around there, that might be Samson actually, maybe it's 14-ish, but I'm going to be talking about the gentleman known as Gideon, and many people, many, many, many people, love Gideon. They're like, what a man of faith. What an example of what we should be doing for all of us. Man, this guy, he got it. And this is one of our heroes of faith that we need to look up to and do that. In my studies of Gideon, uh, which date even back to my university days, when I really ran through the story, I was like, what a loser. <laughs> I hate to say it, but this guy is not an example at all. Um, and if anything, it just shows how God can use anybody. Anybody. If you feel like, wow, no, God can't use me, whoa, that is, whoa, way off the mark. Um, God most can definitely use you. Now, is God going to speak to you directly for one specific purpose, for one specific moment in history, for one specific time that can change everything for everybody? Maybe not. I think we try to think we're the most important things on the face of the planet, and that's not always the case. Maybe just the general commandments that we find within the Bible are sufficient enough for us, and if everyone did that, then wow, that would make a change. I'm very clear that not everyone is going to do that, and I'm not going to try to make it forced upon everyone to do that, but I'm going to teach people to obey, as is in the Great Commission, all that Jesus taught us. <clears throat> That's part of it. So, let's look at Gideon. Um, and I'm going to just kind of, again, I, I think there's about three chapters in here, and maybe it's a little later, maybe 17, 18, 19, I want to say in Judges. Um, so, there's three chapters that really kind of encapsulate the life of Gideon, and it really is a fascinating, fascinating character study. I would encourage you to go back and read it in detail, and, and I think the things that I'm going to gloss over here, you can get them in a, a bit more detail and, and really appreciate the, the depth of the story. So, um, 
context, we have uh, the people of Israel. Again, there's not been a division between the kingdoms that comes later. There's not even a king at this point. We just have the scattered tribes, all right? We got the scattered tribes. And Gideon belongs to this kind of weakling tribe. I can't remember which one it is. Forgive me. Again, I've not done my research for this. And we find Gideon at the beginning of the story in a hole. Because if I'm not mistaken, the Amalekites have been attacking his tribe and basically taking everything they have. And they're slowly starving to death. And so he, they would raise their, they would plant their wheat and their grains. And then right at the time of harvest, guess what? The Amalekites would come and take all their, all their wheat and their grains and leave them with nothing. And it's like, hey, we don't have to work. We'll just take it from these guys. And so we, at the beginning of the story, we find Gideon, he's in a hole. And he's trying to tread out the grains and get the grains out of the the, chaff, the wheat and the chaff, the wheat and the chaff. Um, separate that out, and he's trying to do this in a hole in such a way that the Amalekites can't see him because he does not want to be seen by these guys because they're gonna they're bad dudes and he's just this little kid and they're gonna come and take all of his wheat and grain. So the first thing you see that Gideon is doing is that he's hiding. He's hiding. We're gonna call the Amalekites in this case the bullies. He's hiding from the bullies. Because he's scared. Alright. And it may be a smart thing to do. I would agree. In that type of situation, I'd probably be in that hole too. I'd be like, I don't want these guys to come and take everything that I worked months for to try to grow. And this is the only way I'm going to live. And I don't want to take it. So, they got all the power. They got all the, the, the ways to do this. They're stronger than me. They're more powerful than me and my, my family. So, I'm just going to stay in this little hole and tread it out. And then, an angel shows up. And speaks to Gideon and says, Lo, valiant warrior of the Lord. <laughs> this is a funny story. I gotta say, this is one of the funny stories in the Bible. Behold, valiant warrior of the Lord. Uh, Gideon looks around and says, Who else is in this hole with me? Um, and he's like, I'm sorry. What, what was that? And so uh, the angel goes on to explain how God has chosen Gideon to free his people from these Amalekite bullies. And Gideon's like, yeah, right. Uh, this is kind of like the Bill Cosby Noah thing. I'm sorry, I have to mention Bill Cosby's name here. Uh, that's a whole different topic for a different day. Anyways, if that offends you, my apologies, sincerest. Um, I do not support the things that Bill Cosby did, but he still had some funny stuff. You can't take that away. We're all mixed bags. All right, so... <clears throat> um. So Gideon's like, wait, you want me to do what? You want me to go take out the Amalekites? Did you not notice I'm in a hole, hiding from these people? And yet, here he is, being called by God to go and rid his people of the Amalekites. And so Gideon, uh, as we'll see, is reluctantly obedient. He is kind of, kind of obedient. So he, he tries to do these things, but at the same time, Gideon is overcome and ridden through and through by fears, doubts, and uncertainty. This is very important. Gideon is riddled with fear, doubts, and uncertainty, just like any of us. And I, I would agree, yes, it's okay to have fear, it's okay to have doubts, it's okay to have uncertainty. The issues come at the end of the story, but we'll get there. So, Gideon, uh, hearing this from God, realizes, hmm, we have a problem. 
the, the family that I'm part of and the town that I'm part of, we're not really worshiping God as he is. We've been doing some stuff that are kind of not good with God, a.k.a. we got some idols here, and that's not cool. And so I got to rid our town of these idols. So he gets up again, not in broad daylight, but in the middle of the night, goes out and cuts down the Asherah pole. Now, this town had an Asherah pole, not to be too graphic, but basically the Asherah pole is this giant phallus or phallic symbol. Uh, it was a symbol of fertility. And so you can see, man, these people are getting all their food taken away. They're like, we got to do something so we can get some more production out of our fields. Let's go to this god, because supposedly that makes our stuff more fertile. Hey, Mr. God, with a big pole, can you please make your fields more fertile? And so they start not trusting in God, and they start trusting in this other deity from the surrounding people. All right, so he goes down and he cuts down the town's phallus. Um, and he burns it. And then he offers a sacrifice to God with the wood there. Cool. All right. <clears throat> so he does this, and I believe he was instructed by the angel to do offer, offer, offer a sacrifice with the oxen, which he did. Oh, and he even went and he made a piece of bread, brought it back to the angel, and, and gave it to him. And then, yeah, he made the little sacrifice there. Cool. So he does this, and the people wake up in the middle of, in the morning, I should say. And they start walking around town. They're like, something's gone here. We're missing something. Uh, and they realize what they're missing is the town's large pole. So <laughs> somehow somebody knew that it must have been Gideon. So they come bearing down on Gideon. Now Gideon, and I understand he's a young kid at this point, does what any young kid would do at this point. He runs behind, behind his daddy. He's like, dad, help. I need help. Help me, Daddy. <laughs> just cut down the, the town's pole, and they're really angry about it. Help, save me. So he's hiding behind his dad. The town comes in, and they knock on the door, and his dad comes out, and they're saying, you need to hand over your son so we can kill him because he cut down our pole. And obviously that makes any man angry. So, uh, again, this is a hilarious story. If, if, you don't, if you don't find humor in the Bible, man, you're just not reading it right. I, I'm sorry. Um... So his dad's like, listen, we shouldn't have this thing to begin with, right? Let's be honest. God has told us, and, and maybe God's doing something with it. So if, if God's really going to punish Gideon, let him punish him on his own. Uh, but really, no, if you're going to get through him, you got to get through me. And so they huff and puff and walk away, and that's that. So here we have Gideon. Uh, he did an, an act of bravery in the middle of the night, and then he was like, ah, save me, and ran around uh, to get help from his dad. And his dad did. Um... So there we go. That's our mighty warrior of the Lord. Uh, at this point, Gideon, <laughs> Gideon is now called, and God says, "All right, assemble, assemble the army." So I'm believing. I'm believing this story. If you need to read it, you can read it about five minutes. It feels like this takes place over the case of years, and, you, and you'll see where this, there's a definite jump in time a little bit later on here. So Gideon, I feel like he's grown up a little bit, and he says, listen, God has called us to go take on the Amalekites. Everyone, come together. So you know this story. All the people show up, and God says, nope, Gideon, there are too many people here. Not going to happen. I don't want this many people here. Otherwise, it's gonna, you're going to think that you did it, which is a fascinating point. I believe Gideon is a wonderful case story of somebody that has a very low self-esteem. Um, he comes from a traumatized background. He has been traumatized. He has been attacked by the Amalekites. He lives in fear. And this is someone that has riddle of fear, uncertainties, and doubts, like I've said. And he's having to live with it and try to work through it all. 
and he has, he's a prime candidate to have a low self-esteem. Now, I'm not saying that if you've gone through that stuff, you got low self-esteem. That, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the traumas of life are going to try to break you down and say you don't have any value, all right? Self-esteem just means how worthy do you think you really are? How much worth do you ascribe to yourself? And I would say, before you start jumping all psychological on me, we need to ascribe the same amount of worth to ourselves that God ascribes to ourselves. Now, I feel like some people kind of go a little bit too far in this. And they're like, wow, I'm so amazing because I'm made in God's image. And yes, that is true. We are absolutely amazing and wonderful made in God's image. But there's also some space for some humility at the same time. However, I can tell you this. It is difficult to have humility um, if you don't have any worth of yourself. Otherwise, you don't have humility, you just have self-abasement. You're not giving yourself any value at all, and that's not good either. So, really, it is coming into agreement with how God sees us, and then once you can do that, you have some sort of self-worth, then you can apply humility, and you can receive all the humility that that, uh, is worthy of that. But if if you don't have any self-worth to begin with, that's and you're trying to say, oh, no, I'm not no, I'm not. Don't worry. I'm like, I got you guys. You're good. No, I'm not anything special. That's not humility. That's just, you can't value yourself. And that is also a huge error. So one, not to puff yourself up so great that you think you're the, as they say, as my wife loved to say, the last Coca-Cola in the desert. Um, but two, to not be like you have no value whatsoever. No, that's not the reality. And it's, I wouldn't even say it's a balance. It's agreeing with what God says, who we are. Okay. <clears throat> now, God called Gideon a mighty warrior. And he's taking these little baby steps to begin to agree with that. That's good. Um, nonetheless, you'll see again, he's riddled with doubts. So he calls all these people together. God says, nope, get rid of them. So he sends half of them home. And God's, or he takes them down the river. And the ones that drink from the river like dogs, those are the ones that stay. The rest of them are out. So now Gideon's surrounded by a lot of rough characters, <laughs> to say the least. Um, those are the ones that are there. And he's like, oh boy, here I am. So here he is, this little kid that's scared, hiding in the hole. Now surrounded by these really rough characters. And he's the one leading them. Uh, now, because in some, in some sense, he is agreeing with what God has told him, that he is the mighty warrior from the Lord. But when it comes up to like, all right, go and attack the Amalekites, uh, there's this doubt. He's like, ah, wait a minute. No, no, God. Okay. Let's, 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 hold up, hold up. Stop one second here. I know you told me to go attack him, but let's just be sure that's the case. All right. Tell you what, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put this piece of, of sheepskin out there. It's got the hair on it. It's called a fleece. And uh, if I wake up in the morning and all the ground around the sheep's hair is dry and only the sheep's hair has dew on it, then I'm going to know that's going to be the sign, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, that, all right, I'm really supposed to go attack the Amalekites. Thank you. So he goes to sleep, wakes up in the morning, the ground is dry, and that thing is soaked. That fleece is soaked. He's like, oh, boy. Well... That wasn't very scientific. Okay, God, maybe I maybe that's just how nature works. I'm sorry. You know what? Let's do something different. How about this time? Tomorrow, I'm going to buy myself 24 hours here. Tomorrow, because I'm scared of attacking these people. Tomorrow, uh, when I wake up, <laughs> I'll just buy myself more time here. Stall, stall. 
uh, tomorrow when I wake up, all the ground is going to be wet and the fleece is going to be dry. So he stalls for 24 hours. So the guys just go down and drink some more water like dogs that you are. And it wakes up in the morning and there it is. Ta-da! The fleece is 100% dry as a bone and all the ground around it is wet with dew. He's like, dang it! Ugh. Okay, so I guess God is really telling us to go attack the Amalekites. All right, Lord, we'll, we'll do it. So he gets ready, and then he gets this little plan together, and he says, all right, everybody, we're going to act like we surround him. So he comes up with this little plan to act like he's surrounding him, right? As everyone has their torches hiding again, uh, has their torches hidden in these little jars, they go up, they surround him, and then Gideon's like, okay, we got to see how we're going to attack these guys. We're going to attack him again at night, not plain day, at night, hiding, scared, um, to go in and take these guys out. So he, he crawls down to the camp to see what's going on with these guys, and, and he hears them. And here's what he hears between these two Amalekite soldiers. And it's probably Ammonites, I'm sorry. But anyways, he, he, he's, he hears these two, I think it is Ammonites, these two Ammonite soldiers, and they're, they're talking amongst each other, and they say, hey, I had this dream last night. What'd you dream? Oh, man, I dreamed that there was... <laughs> oh, my gosh, Lord, thank you for your sense of humor. I had this dream... That there was this this piece of bread. There was this loaf of bread, and it rolled into our camp, and it hit one of the tents, and it kept rolling, and it knocked over the other tent, and it knocked over the next tent, and it knocked over the next tent until it knocked over the entire camp. At this point, the second soldier says, "Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? I know what that loaf of bread is. That loaf of bread is Gideon." Surely, his God is going to give us into his hand. Gideon hears this, and he gets excited. He's like, yay, here I am, a loaf of bread that's going to roll down a hill and knock over all the tents. Yes, that is me. I am the Wonder Bread Warrior. (laughs) Uh, So Gideon goes back. He's giddy at this point. And he tells his guys, we got this, we got this, guys. God has given them into our hand. So I'll wait until I blow my horn, at which point everyone's going to break the jar over their torch, and then the Ammonites are going to freak out, and we're going to see what happens. So they do that. They crawl up on top of the mountain. They surround this little valley where the camp is at. At this point, everyone is sharing their dream of how this piece of, this loaf of Wonder Bread rolls in there and knocks over their tents. And so they go up, they knock, they break out the torches, or I'm sorry, Gideon blows the horn, and it says, for the Lord and for Gideon, if I'm not mistaken, again, I apologize, it's been a while since I've been through this, and then they rush down, they break all their pots, everyone in the, in the Ammonite camp freaks out, they look around, they think they're surrounded, and they freak out, and they start killing each other. And so, you know, the confusion, and Gideon's soldiers don't even need to do jack at this point. So the Ammonites deal themselves this terrible blow from the Wonder Bread warrior who just rolled into camp like a piece of bread and knocked over their tents. Now, they suffer a huge defeat. They are not wiped out, however. They are not wiped out. And many of them escape. Gideon, this is the part that everyone stops at. No one continues beyond that last little victory. Everyone's like, yay, let's, Gideon's amazing. The end. Wrong. 
Stories have an end, like fictitious stories. Movies have an end. And I'm kind of glad that even in Enchantment, I kind of go to like this whole thing about series because even then it has an end. But it kind of shows the reality of life that you can have this amazing victory and but you, you got to keep living. You got to keep living after the victory. You, you don't stop. Your life doesn't end right then. So either you got to go out and win another victory or you got to figure something else out. So Gideon um, keeps living. He's like, oh, we got to chase these guys. So he grabs his 400, you know, dog lappers and he uh, goes after him and he starts chasing him down. And it, it seemed, it would seem like, it would seem like there's a lapse of time between this last victory and the time he's, he's hunting these guys down. It seems like this is a, a kind of drawn out process, hunting down these guys. So remember, this is the kid that was hiding in the hole, who cut down the, the town's pole and hid behind his dad, who was scared to go to attack these guys, because <clears throat> he's like, oh man, we're, we're going to do this. And now he's chasing this enemy army and with his 400 men. Now he's got some chutzpah to him, right? Now he's like, I'm, I'm getting these guys. We're getting them. Ugh. And interestingly enough, he did something where he, he stopped consulting God. He just said, let's go get him. Let's go get him. We're going to go get him. And so I'm the mighty warrior. Let's get him. So he starts chasing them. And it may be very well, this was God's will, that he chased them down. So he chases them, and he manages to capture them. And he captures two of the kings of this enemy army. And he says, aha, I've captured them. And then what does he do? He begins to torture them. He begins to put them in brambles and scratch them up and do all this kind of stuff to them and make them howl and scream. And they're like, ah, we don't want this anymore. So... Gideon, the mighty warrior of the Lord, the one that has, in my mind, has low self-esteem. Now he is causing pain and suffering to his enemies. The one that was bullied is now bullying. And it may be completely justified, perhaps. We've talked about how God can use violence, but this is a case where I'm not entirely certain, because if you continue to see what Gideon does here, he, he chases down one king, and he's trying to get information out of him, he doesn't, and then he ends up lopping his head off, um, and then he chases down another one, does something similar, um, and just causes him all his pain and suffering with this torturing bit he's doing to him. Eventually, Gideon annihilates all these guys, wipes them out, um, he comes back to his hometown, and he sets up everything there, and he kind of becomes this semi-ruler. He becomes a judge of Israel, right? And you think, aha, well, this is this guy that he's able to overcome his doubts. He was able to overcome his fears, his concerns, face his enemies, and win a victory. End of story, happy ending. But it's not. It's not at all. This guy, now, when he comes back and he's the ruler, uh, he loads himself up with... Lots of women. Lots of women. Uh, he has many, 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 many wives. And he has many, 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 many children. He has 70 children, to be precise. Uh, I think even 71. There's one more on top of that. So he has lots of kids. That means he had lots of money to be able to provide for all his children and all of his wives. And it says he even brought the ephod to his own little tent there. Remember the ephod? This is the thing that the priest was supposed to wear. He's got it. And guess what? Many times people thought the ephod was there to consult with God, and it says, fascinatingly enough, that the ephod 
caused all Israel to play the harlot with it. Gideon does not bring the people closer to God. He brings the people away from God, even with an object that God has given to Israel. Ouch. So Gideon, to me, is not an example. This guy is not someone like, wow, yeah, there are some examples to follow. But in a sense, I would say this is a case study of someone with low self-esteem, the one that was bullied that now becomes the bully. I'm going to come back after work and we're going to talk about what this bullying actually looks like um, in real life. Pues, ¿qué podemos decir de Gedeon? Oh, I'm sorry. So what can we say? Sorry, I keep coming back from work and I start going into Spanish instead of English. I don't know why I do that. Anyways, so what can we say about Gideon in terms of bullying? Because there's a lot we can say about other things and idolatry and life stages and progression, all this kind of stuff. But what I want to focus is on how did this, this kid that was scared and stuck in a hole and hiding for his life uh, turn into someone that's willing to torture pretty mercilessly uh, other people even though they are his enemies? So I kind of want to talk about what is the, the elements of a bully, and I want to use even the, the Ammonites uh, as the case here. So there are a few things that a bully has got to have to be a bully. Well, let's talk about this. They, they can't just, not everyone's a bully, let's be honest. First of all, a bully has to have power. And what I mean by that is a bully is typically, even school size, it, it's typically the bigger kid, right? It's kind of a, a bigger kid. Uh, he's not, you know, uh, one that's going to be weak. He's okay to get into a fight, you know, and, and he may not even be that good at a fight, but at least he gives off the eminence. He gives off the projection of power. He gives off the threat of violence. He gives off the threat of power. He gives off the threat of doing something. And many times you'll see that bullies are not alone. They have groups with them, and then we get into gangs, and that's a whole different topic. But it'd be very similar to this. The bully has something where they can uh, exercise influence over other, over other people, either to do their will, to do um, bad things and, and cause evil, or they can in- exercise influence to cause fear that keeps people from rising up and stopping the bully from doing what they do. So that's, that's number one. There's some sort of element of power or the threat of use of power and threat of use of violence. This is not a, a power that comes from really uh, a Christ-like a power, no. Or, or this is a positional authority power, no. This is just a power that comes from, don't mess with me. Another element that has a bully. They got a mean streak, otherwise they wouldn't be a bully. Somebody can have a lot of power, it can be really strong, but if they don't have a mean streak in them, they're just trying to cause chaos and pain wherever they go, then they're not really a bully. So that's, that's one of the very first things to, second thing to look at, is the tendency to do harm. The desire to do harm, and specifically, if we're talking about bullying, it's the tendency to do harm for laughs. To do harm that brings about laughter, and injunction, and uh, making fun of, right? That's a big part of bullying. It's not just the, the physical stuff. It's also like the verbal abuse that comes with it, and it comes with the ability to laugh at somebody else at the expense of others. That is a big part of bullying. So we got someone that has the, the illusion of power and, um, or actual power, and they use that power to cause harm upon others, and that makes them laugh. Now, I won't say that actually makes them happy. 
Uh, it might make them happy, and I'm sure there are some very sick individuals out there that it definitely does make them happy. Let's be clear about that. There's some real serious cases out there. We'll get to those later. But on the level of bullying, I'm not. It may be that it really makes them happy. It may be that it doesn't. We'll see. It may be that it's just covering for something else. And I think number three, one of the other main elements of a bully is a bully has been bullied or is being bullied. Right? A bully is someone who is hurt. And there is some sort of pain or issue that has caused this person to acquire power because they felt like they lacked it. Uh, They have caused them to acquire a sense of being a threat because they have been under threat. And now they exercise that power and that threat to others around them that are not the people that are bullying them. There's a chain going on. And I feel like most bullies do not bully the ones that bully them. In their frustration that they cannot respond... Uh, properly or cannot be free of the violent oppression, let's put it that way, that might be a little too exaggerated to say it that way, but of the oppression they're feeling, now they extend that onto something else to feel like they do have power. Because the quest for power always is going to have its roots in a lack of power. And so the bully, in his lack of power or her lack of power, begins to extend power and authority through violence through uh, hateful words upon others so that they can feel like they've got some sort of balance in their lives. Again, we can see this with Gideon for sure. He, at first, he has no power. Uh, but once he does get power, what's he start doing? it? The minute he wins a victory, then he's on to torturing. Then he's on to slaughtering. He's on all this kind of stuff. And again, we've talked about how sometimes God uh, condones these things in the Old Testament uh, for various reasons. But it would seem like he's really trying to do something different here. He's, he's, he's going down a different little path here than just going out and wiping out people. He's, he's taking some joy and some pleasure and now having the power and causing suffering to others. The suffering that he has borne for many, many, many days and many, many years is now coming out in the form of exercising power over those around him that now have lost their power. And this one in particular, he was able, through God's help, to stand up to the bully. And here's, here's another big thing. Um, Because we talk about how we end bullies, and we'll get there in a second. Uh, Also, he has the sense of lack of power. Uh, Once he gets power, he becomes a bully. And it would seem, again, he's getting some sort of enjoyment out of doing the bullying. Um, The Ammonites, I can't tell how much they enjoyed doing their their evil deeds. My guess is they probably thought it was great, uh, and they didn't mind doing it at all. We're talking about ancient world. This is very common. It's like the more you can step on your enemies, the better, more powerful you are. So you're definitely going to do that to show how great and amazing you are. That's just kind of how it went. Um, mainly through a lot of teaching of Christ that have gotten uh, diffused throughout society and kind of lost their source. Uh, we've kind of come to work against bullying and seeing this as, as a bad thing, which I think is kind of interesting because I, I can tell you, from the days when I was a kid, there was, there was this transition going on. And I'll tell you my own little bullying story. Uh, fourth grade. Um, I had just moved in to a different state. My folks had moved from Seattle, Washington, and we moved to Boise, Idaho. And we started, I started going to a new school in fourth grade. I ended up becoming friends with uh, the son of my fourth grade teacher. I didn't know she was going to be my fourth grade teacher, but she turned out to be my fourth grade teacher. And so I became friends with her son through some various connections we had once we got there. He was not in my class. He was about uh, two grades ahead of me, so that was not part of the equation. But there was this one kid in my class that caused me issues, and he was, in every sense, a bully. And I was pretty much a happy-go-lucky kid. I, I admit I was pretty innocent and pretty open and free. 
uh, and I would, in fourth grade, go skipping down the halls. <laughs> I loved to skip. It was fun. It just felt good. I got this neat little feeling in my chest every time I skipped. So I'd skip all over the place. And obviously, this was uh, a little late in my development to be skipping, culturally accepted. Skipping was not allowed at this point. And so obviously, I was kind of a target for bullies. Now, this one particular kid, I don't know all of his life story, I don't know what the deal was, but he had it out for me. And so he caused me issues, he called me pain, uh, he called me names, he pushed me, he put, put, uh, put me down, uh, he threw me a few times, all this kind of stuff, and it was just this thing where was, I was not feeling good. And every day I was dreading going to school because I was gonna have to face this kid and I did not want to. Um, and it was not a good thing. So somehow through the grapevine, this got to my teacher and something happened that he did something to me in class. She caught it. And so she threw him out to detention and he got expelled. He got gone completely out of school because of it. Completely removed. I never stood up to this bully. Um, fascinating enough, years later, I mean, years later, I'm in my twenties now, I'm going to a wedding in Idaho and who should I find myself sitting across the table from, but except this very same guy. And I remember as a kid, even though I was taller than him, I felt like this kid was stronger than me. And I was never good at fighting, I'll admit that. I was not, I was the skipping kid, I was not the fighting kid. <laughs> so I was not good at fighting per se, so I didn't stand up to this bully and, and show him what's up. Um, but I felt like he was stronger than me. And, and that was probably not the case. I probably could have taken the guy if I had my wits about me and just didn't. Um, and so in any case, I'm sitting across the table from this guy now in, in, and I'm either in college or graduate from college and he's about half my size. I could pick this guy up and throw him wherever I want to. <laughs> but he was such a good guy. I mean, it was really amazing. He was, he was I mean, I was, I was super following Christ at that point and he was too. We had this very good conversation. We were able to, I don't even know if we talked about what had happened or reconciled. I think I might have brought it up. Just be like, hey, you know, I'm sorry for what happened that you got kicked out of school. That was not my intention. He's like, no, I'm going to apologize for what I treated you. That was wrong. And we were able to reconcile, and it was a really beautiful little time. So, um, where was I going with that? Bullying. There it was. So, all I have to say, uh, there, there's some ways that we have to deal with the bullies, and that's a whole different deal. Um, but, what I'd like to say is that, oh yes, the transition. So, I feel like back in the day, and maybe it's coming back a little bit, the idea was like, if there was a bully at school, you taught your kid how to go fight, and you got to, to get them to be decent at defending themselves, and then you let them loose, let them have at the bully and that somehow makes you now transition from boy to a man I don't know something like that and now no one's gonna mess with you because they saw that I would say there is and, and here again as a person as a human being that has some sort of value now does it hold a Christian value like according to Christ no it does not um, again I don't believe Jesus condones violence but I would say it's a boost for your self self-esteem that you can stand up for yourself and not be knocked over. That is a necessary skill, and I don't believe that as a human being you should just be tread on and stepped upon and you say nothing about it. I believe as a human being there has to be some point where you know you can stand up for yourself because you have done it in the past. I see David uh, standing up to Goliath and saying, listen, I have killed the lion, I have killed the bear, I have done these things in the past, and now I'm gonna serve your body to the vultures today. He knows what's up. He's been there before. This is not new to him, and he's done that. And I feel like we all need our lions and bears before we face Goliath. Uh, and that would not be a bad, a bad thing to do. So, um, 
But that does not mean, that does not mean that you go out and look for someone to knuckle down on because now you've converted yourself into the bully. What would be an appropriate Christian response to bullying? Well, I mean, let's look at what Jesus says. He says, love your enemy. And I think that's one of the biggest things to understand. You may be able to knock that that bully out. Good. You stand up for yourself. You knock out that bully. You stand up. You punch him. Boom. He Down he goes. You stood up for yourself. He may not mess with you anymore. However, however, while that is a great lesson for the kid that was being bullied, that he can now stand up for himself, he's, he now is in danger of becoming a bully. Um, hopefully not. Hopefully you have some sort of empathy for everything on this whole process. But the tendency is that the one who's been abused now becomes the abuser. And then the other thing is that uh, the bully himself now just got, well, he learned a few different lessons. One, if the bully is actually in a situation where he is receiving abuse from authority above him and he's trying to extend that upon others, now he feels really completely and truly weak. Now he's either got to take the lesson from the guy that just knocked him down that he was bullying and be like, now I'm going to go do this to the guy that's knocking me down so I can stand up to him. Or he could go even farther down into a hole of depression. If I'm talking about bullying like from a kid, even a younger kid, they're not going to be able to stand up to their parents and, and knock out their parents, and that's not a good thing to do anyways. Um, I feel like they do need to stand up for themselves. I can say there's even moments in my far, far, far back family history that I've learned about way far back, I'm talking about generations and generations, that uh, some of the kids had to run their dad off of the homestead because he was so abusive, it looks like he even killed one of the brothers, and so when the oldest got old enough to hold a shotgun and aim it, they had to run him off at the point of a shotgun, uh, just for their own survival and stay alive, because it was that that bad of a situation, um, and they are able to do that, and I may be here as a result of that. So I think there is some sense of knowing how to defend yourself. But I would, again, say, even if I defend myself as a human being, I would ask yourself. I would ask forgiveness and not say, this is something that Jesus condones and say, hey, yeah, good, good job for you. <laughs> um, I think Jesus would understand it. <laughs> I think there'd be forgiveness there. However, I, I think what Jesus would say is we are to love our enemies. And again, if this bully goes down this path of just complete self-isolation now, they're going to end up in a real bad spot. So, I believe a holistic, if this can sound a little too uh, modern, a holistic way of loving would be to love both the bullied, the, the victim, and the victimizer, the one that's causing the issues, and understand that the victimizer is most likely a victim at the same time. Um, because if we are truly to love our enemies, just the same way that Jesus has loved us, that means that we've got to understand where people are coming from. Now, I don't expect a five-year-old kid to really understand and empathize with the kids is punching him right then. He's probably going to respond back and push and do something else at the same time. I would expect that. But can we sit down, someone of wisdom, an adult in this process, uh, sit down and kind of talk with both of them and understand what's going on there. Understand the roots of the problem. Sometimes it's just something stupid. It's a fight over a piece of candy, da-da-da, whatever. That happens. But if it's a continual pattern, let's try to see what's going on there. And even then, sometimes maybe it's not really... The result of something. I mean, some people just have a bent more towards expressing themselves via violence. That's not a good thing, and we need to talk about, hey, within our society, this is how we behave. So, all to say, um, one, 
understand your own self-worth. I think that's, that's very important. And agree with who God says you are. At the same time, understand that as you agree with God who says you are, be aware this is the very same God, the very same Jesus who says, blessed are the meek. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. Blessed are you when you're doing that. Just understand the persecution, that whole thing that comes from following Jesus and not from just being really down on yourself. Because if I know anything about bullies, they're kind of like this element of the world, of nature, that tries to remove the weak, tries to remove the, the things that are out of it. Because if nature teaches us anything, it's like, we want health. And if something's not healthy, nature's going to bring something in to remove it. Be like, all right, this is not healthy, let's just take it out. Dang, this plant's not healthy, let me send some bugs to eat it. And then that way, this thing is not healthy, and it's not continuing to spread on its not healthy uh, self into future generations. We will remove it, and then we will always produce that which is the strongest and the best. Nonetheless, in human beings, it would seem like God is not necessarily working exact with nature. God, for whatever reason, favors the weak. He encourages us to do the same, and encourages us to look out after the weakest among us. And so we, we have this point where we are now not collaborating with nature, we're actually kind of working against nature, at least within human beings. And so we're not favoring the strongest ones, we're trying to favor the weaker ones. Which, if you believe in evolution, this sounds sick to you. This sounds absolutely wrong and horrible, because it's like, man, we got to do what it is to make our race the strongest. Now, our society, for whatever reason, probably because we fought the Nazis, thinks thinking that way sounds kind of sick, and we've more adopted more the, the Christian perspective, at least for a little bit. But nonetheless, there are elements that would love to go back to a natural selection view of humanity and society. Let's remove the weak elements among us so that we can prosper and be better. The problem is, who is calling those shots? <laughs> really, who's calling those shots? That's kind of a scary thing. Um, so I don't agree with that. Just so you know, I believe I go with Jesus and I say, let's look out for the weak. Let's look out for the underprivileged. Let's look out for those people and bless them. And many times, if we're going to look in the case of bullying, that's what's going on there. There's, there's something there going on that we can respond to. So, uh, and then my, my last thing is if you stand up to a bully, that does not mean that a, you are the be all of the end all and you have God's favor to do whatever you want from here on out. Beware. Let the lesson of Gideon sink in with you because just because God brought you to the point where he won a victory for you, be very very clear about this, God won a victory for you, for him, that does not mean that you can do whatever you want. That does not mean that you have God's approval over everything you do. No, ma'am, no, sir. We need to be constantly examining ourselves. Be like, Lord, okay, where am I going wrong here? Show me, guide me daily, directly. Yes, I'm going to work out of the authority you've given to me and of the value you've given to me and of who I am. I'm going to work out of that completely. But, but, I'm not going to assume that that means I got everything I write. I've got is good. Have mercy on me. All right, everybody. That's kind of a little scattered. My apologies, but there it is. So, bullying, another form of violence. We'll continue on this whole thread. When we get into more stuff about this, we're going to talk about even school shootings and other things like that, other things that happen particular to youth. Um, in school, we'll talk about gangs and some other things. We'll get into it. So be blessed. Don't be a bully. Bless the bullies around you. Be a, a point of light and do good to those that do evil to you. And uh, if you are going to stand up to bullying and use violence, you do it on your own. Don't do it in the name of Jesus. Just do it on your own. All right. Be blessed. Do good. We'll see you on the flip side.